In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That word that came to the prophet was so vivid that he described as seeing it, not hearing it. And that's a very interesting concept, to see it, not to hear it. But we're actually quite used to that in today's world because a lot of the information, a lot of the stories, a lot of the headlines that come to us nowadays are things that we see. Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or even BBC news alerts. Rather than hearing about them, we see them first. I wonder if today you can see in your mind that mountain. The mountain in the vision of Isaiah mentioned also in the Psalms. Can you see it? Can you see it a distance away from you? The mountain of the Lord. All this talk about modern media. It might be that we could change Isaiah's words to read In the present days, the spread of the world's social media is established as the highest of technology. All the people are streaming to it. Many people are saying, come, let us show you how to Facebook. I will teach you the way of Twitter. We can walk in the paths of Instagram and the highways of emails and WhatsApp will lead us. The law is out for the security and protection of the nations. Many are praying for the cyber bullies to change into God's communicators and the scammers changed into God's outreach workers. Nation will not take up digital threats against nation, nor will they learn of hacking games, accounts and emails anymore. Come, let us walk into the light of the Lord to make the most of social media, the cyber world and the website opportunities and spread the word of Advent. We've got bells in our church and the bells uh, ring out. I wonder if the bells today summon people to church in the way that the bells of the Churches of the United Kingdom used to ring out and people used to flock to church. Not anymore, sadly. Certainly not in the scale of the masses climbing the hill in the vision of Isaiah, climbing the hill to the temple. So where do the large crowds go today? Where do people gather in eager anticipation? In shopping malls, in sports stadiums, in concert venues, even airport terminals. Sometimes outside government buildings or in public squares. What are they looking for? Bargains, a great display of sporting achievement, top class entertainment, the buzz of being with other like-minded people shared emotions, rest and recreation, or sometimes gathering with others to create a powerful voice, to challenge injustice, to make a difference to the world, to the climate. And who are the prophets of today? Not clergy, it seems, given the numbers who flock to the church in comparison with those who seek inspiration elsewhere. 
Churches, at their best, used to offer some of the components of Isaiah's vision. Experience of community, a sense of belonging and purpose, engaging performances on the part of musicians like Gordon and ministers like me, intellectual and emotional stimulation, moral and spiritual guidance, a challenge for justice and peace. Now, I would like to think that we, in part, still do offer that ministry here in Manifield. We still preach the good news. We speak of mission, the need for, the desire for change in our world. And we believe that that is the most important message to hear to hear ourselves and then to deliver, like postmen and women, deliver the message to others and to the world. Is that not the most important message that there is? Isaiah's vision of a changed world, a better future, a prosperity for all. Is that not the most important message of the season of electioneering, I mean of Advent? More so important, perhaps. Because in the time between Isaiah and today, we have the significant intervention of God, the advent of the promise of hope, God's action to transform the world. Jesus. Advent is about many things. Preparation, waiting. It's about hope peace, joy, love. It's about light breaking into darkness. It's about life, not death. But perhaps most of all, it's about transformation. And it's transformation that Isaiah is picturing in chapters 1 and 2. First of all, in chapter 1, He graphically lays out what's wrong with the world. Violence, bribery, unfaithfulness, desolation, tramping on the poor. In chapter 1, there are some brief interventions of God, repentance and hope. But the overriding message of chapter 1 is that that is drowned out by violence and rebellion of the times. And then chapter 2 opens as though Isaiah is starting all over again, or God is starting over. What Isaiah sees is not actually taking place then. It's the vision that he sees for tomorrow, the future. In days to come, God will judge between the nations and the people will know transformation. Can you see it? They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither will enemy tear each other apart in war. Who can believe that? The two contrasting pictures, they're ridiculously different. They're extreme. Is it fanciful? Did the people believe it then? Do we believe now in such transformation being possible? Some might say then, some might say now. Don't be ridiculous. The world is not going to change into that place. It seems absurd. 
to think that plowshares, that swords can be turned to plowshares, that war and poverty and violence can be no more. But let's remember, Isaiah is not some Pollyanna prophet. He's not being ridiculous. And that's the very point of contrasting chapters 1 and 2. Because chapter 1 is very real. That image of violence and rebellion and poverty, that's real in the world then. And we know it's real in the world now. Isaiah's sermon in chapter 2, as it contrasts with chapter 1, paints a picture for us, the need for and the possibility of transformation. I want you to think of some of the great stories of literature. Most stories, I think, that make us excited do so because they throw in something unbelievable, something that we, we think can't happen, shouldn't happen, and it does happen. Take, for instance, and very appropriate for this first Sunday of Advent, one of the greats, Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I've maybe told you before that I reckon about 30 years ago, my first ever sermon as part of my first ever placement was on the Sunday of Advent. And I opened with the words you're about to hear. And my supervisor said to me at my weekly meeting afterwards, that was great. That was a great start. He didn't tell me how great it was after the first opening sentence. But listen to these words. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt about that, whatever. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was dead, dead as a doornail. In these words is the foundation of the premise of the whole book. Set against the background of death, dead as a doornail, no dispute, the author hides away the caveat that all is not what it seems. Listen, Marley was dead to begin with. And of course he appears as a ghost to Scrooge later in the story. And the big theme of the book, the darkness of the human character, of spirit, of society, of outlook, the big picture of death in the world the darkness consuming the world, portrayed in Scrooge's early character. Yet despite the odds, we know that darkness was not the end of that story. Light breaks the darkness. Hope is reborn. Life overcomes death. And in it all, Dickens shows a reason for us to believe that transformation of darkness to light is possible even in the most extreme cases. Christmas, folks, comes not to awaken nostalgia, but to awaken our hearts to the ways of God, calling us to conversion, setting us free to be agents of God in the world to which Christ came, just as Israel was urged to do by Isaiah. And to work with others, other nations, other denominations, other people not like us in the common mindset, in the common purpose 
of transforming our world and humanity. Under God's instruction, there is no more other, there is no more we and there is no more they. We are all in this as humanity together. And until such times as we recognise that we are the same and that we work together, there will be no peace in the world. Folks, Advent is the time of new beginning. It's not New Year's resolutions that count for us. It's the resolution that we make now to live in Advent promise. Not for one day, not for four weeks, but permanently. That's what it means to be believing in God, to believe in the impossible, to make real the possibility of transformation, light and darkness, new life, new start, whenever we find that the world or our society is at odds with God's vision of his kingdom. Folks, as we finish today our sermon, let Christmas come and reside in us. And know that we are not just some slightly bizarre group of people who worship a baby in a manger in a smelly stable. We are a people who believe in the promises of God and a people who believe that transformation of our world is the responsibility of the whole of humanity. And though sometimes we are held back from creating that vision, we cannot stop. We cannot stop trying until the transformation of our world and society is complete and God's vision of a new world is born. Amen.